Hey, we want to open up God's Word. We have a special uh, treat this morning is that I uh, don't get the privilege of opening God's Word, but I get the privilege of listening with you and receiving God's Word with you. So I want to invite Sean Huang, who's going to bring God's Word to us this morning. Sean and, and Laura and their two boys have been a part of our church family for two years now, two and a half, almost three maybe. Uh, and so Sean is uh, going to bring us our message this morning. And so I'd love just uh, to invite you to pray with me as we uh, open God's Word uh, and pray for Sean too. Father God, we uh, we come to you this morning in these moments, and we have stuff on our hearts. We have people we're worried about. We have stress in our lives. We wander from your word and from your will for our lives. We're doubtful sometimes about your will and your word. We're troubled. We're anxious. We're grateful, but we pray, God, amidst all the noise and the distraction in our world and even in our heartbeats right now and our minds as we sit here, we pray that for the next few minutes, you would bring to our mind through your word as your Holy Spirit guides us, you would bring to our mind what it is that we need to hear this morning. Lord, I thank you for your servant, Sean, and his desire and his work to serve us here this morning. Lord, please move in our hearts. Please speak through my brother. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right. Thank you, Ross. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's, it's a joy to be with you again. Thank you again to Ross and the elders for allowing me to come up here and share a little bit from the Word. Uh, last week, Ross um, wore a particular pair of pants uh, that I think the, the Pantone color is called uh, spawning... Pacific salmon. So uh, I thought, well, I, I should probably wear something colorful too. Um, but it's, it's great to be here again with you. And um, I love you guys. Um, so I, I'd like to start with a story. You know, a couple, a few years ago, uh, before Laura and I had kids, we went to visit her uh, dad and stepmom, and they live outside uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, they're, they're Roman Catholic, um, so on the Sunday morning we were there, uh, we all went together to Catholic Mass. Now, I'm not too familiar with Catholic traditions and customs, uh, but I figured, well, we share a common faith in Jesus Christ, you know, hopefully, so I sh- how different could it be? Um, and, you know, for the most part, it wasn't that different. Uh, there was a call to worship, some hymns. And uh, things like that. So I felt pretty comfortable, um, like I knew how things were going to go. And then Father Sweeney proceeded to come up and invite everyone to stand up and to turn to one another and greet each other. So far, so good. I've done that before. So as I stand up uh, and I get my hand ready to shake some hands... I happen to look in the pew in front of me, and I see two older ladies stand up, turn to each other, and kiss each other on the lips. And I said, whoa, wait, 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 what do we got to do here? I turned to Laura, and I was like, am I going to have to kiss everybody in this church? Is that how they do things here? Uh, In that moment, I, I felt like everyone else knew what was going on in this church except for me. Um, Now, it turned out these two ladies are sisters, 
but for a brief moment, I really thought we were going to have to kiss everybody in this church. Amen. Now, <laughs> I won't give you a kiss. Uh, now, I doubt that you guys have had the exact same experience, uh, but I bet there have been times where you've come to church here or Bible study or something like that, and um, you felt that everyone else knew what was going on except for you. You know, maybe stories from the Bible that everyone else knew except for you, or theological terms and ideas that everyone seemed to understand but you. Um, you know, today we're going to talk about something I think that is uh, often misunderstood, uh, but most of us are too shy to ask, wait, wait, what's, what's going on here? Uh, and we're just content to go along with the program and kiss everybody on the lips. Today we're going to talk about the filling of the Spirit, and I bet that while many of you have heard the term, uh, many of you also don't really understand what it means. Uh, to explore this, we're going to continue our study in Acts and move into chapter 4. Uh, as I move through the sermon, you're going to hear me define the filling of the Spirit, what it might look like for you and me, and how you can prepare yourself to be filled by the Spirit. So first, I'd like to define the filling of the Spirit. And I'll define it like this. The filling of the Spirit is an act of the Holy Spirit as a result of the believer's complete submission to the Spirit that compels and empowers the believer to act to reveal the truth and glory of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a mouthful, so I'm going to go over it one more time. The filling of the Spirit is an act of the Holy Spirit as a result of the believer's complete submission to the Spirit that compels and empowers the believer to act to reveal the truth and glory of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot in there, and I'll pack, unpack uh, as we go along, but I'm, it's tax season, so I'm going to give you a tax refund, so to speak. I'm going to give you a, a shorter uh, pocketbook definition as well to keep with you. Uh, and that's this. It's how the Spirit compels and empowers you when you're completely submitted to Him. Now, before we turn to Acts 4 to see where I'm getting this, I'd like to recall from last Sunday uh, what Ross walked us through in chapter 3. Uh, Peter and John had been walking near the temple gates, and they saw a man who was lame from birth. He couldn't walk. And uh, they healed him. And after they healed him and he was able to walk, uh, they gave a rousing sermon. Peter delivered a rousing sermon to all who were amazed at what had happened. And he presents the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. And at the beginning of Acts 4, Peter and John are arrested by the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were a powerful group of uh, Jewish leaders, who, people who did not believe in the resurrection. And the two were thrown in jail until the next morning. And then Peter and John uh, had been arrested, they were put, and they were brought before the Sanhedrin the next day. And it's the supreme ruling body comprised of Jewish leaders. So it's like, you know, them being brought before Congress and the Supreme Court together. Uh, these were the same group of men who had sentenced Jesus to die. And now Peter and John stood before them for an interrogation. So let's pick up from there. This is Acts uh, chapter 4, verse 5. 
On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, then let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there's, no, there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. Is this really the same Peter who just a couple of months before this event denied Christ three times to a bunch of nobodies? And now, filled with the Holy Spirit, he speaks boldly in front of the same group of people who condemned Jesus to death, knowing full well that the same fate could befall him and John. What changed? What changed here? The Bible says Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the Greek, this filling is in the passive voice, uh, indicating that it was something done to Peter by the Spirit. It's an act of the Holy Spirit. This isn't something that we do to ourselves. It's not a button that we push that would just fill us with the Spirit. We're not, you know, Bruce Banner, and it's just in us, and we just power up, and we become the Hulk, and we have the Spirit. It's, it's not like that. It's something that's done to us. It's an act of the Spirit. And here we see Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, boldly speaking to the Sanhedrin, risking his life. You know, at this point, uh, the believers in the early church had already received the permanent indwelling spirit. That is, uh, the permanent gift from God to mark them and you as God's property, since you were bought as a, at a price, as 1 Corinthians 6 says. But the filling of the spirit is different. While believers permanently have the indwelling spirit, it's apparent from the Bible that the filling of the spirit is a momentary thing. That's why we see the filling of the Spirit happened at particular moments in the Bible, like Peter as he speaks to the Sanhedrin, or uh, Paul when he blinds Elymas, the magician, as we'll see later in Acts. In Peter's case, the dramatic turnaround from the rooster crowing to this moment is directly related to his own submission to God. You know, let's think about this for a bit. You know, leading up to Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, Multiple times, Peter demonstrated allegiance to his own agenda. You know, he refused to accept that Jesus would have to die, leading Jesus to rebuke him, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And when Jesus was being arrested in the garden, Peter again tried to force his own agenda by drawing his sword and cutting off the ear of the high priest's slave. And of course, when he was confronted with his association with Jesus, he denied 
it three times to save his own life. But by Acts 4, Peter was totally committed to God's agenda. He gave up control to the Spirit. This idea of control is central to the filling of the Spirit. Ephesians 5 give us, gives us a perfect analogy to understand this. Paul commanded us, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Anyone never seen anyone drunk before? No. Never, right? No. Maybe it's you. I don't know. Uh, you know, the alcohol is controlling the person, getting them to do things they wouldn't otherwise normally do. You know, the contrast to this is the filling of the Spirit. Paul was saying, you know, don't be filled with these spirits, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's look back at Peter being filled with the Spirit when he was, when he was in front of the Sanhedrin. In verse 18, they ordered Peter and John not to speak or teach in Jesus' name, and this is what the two of them had to say in verse 19. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They basically said, we can't help but speak about Jesus. We're compelled to speak the truth and glory of Jesus Christ. Can't help it. Sorry, not sorry. Do what you got to do, but we got to do what we got to do. And that is two men completely submitted to God and filled with the Holy Spirit. So you've got three components to this definition of the filling of the Spirit that we see in Acts 4. It's an act of the Holy Spirit. It's as a result of your complete submission to the Spirit and that compels and empowers you to act to reveal the truth and glory of Jesus Christ. So, what might the filling of the Spirit look like us today? And the best way I thought I could answer this was to tell you a story. Uh, about 10 years ago, uh, before I met Laura, I was feeling led away from pursuing an MBA and going to business school and was struggling with the decision, maybe I need to go to seminary. And God was doing a lot of things in my life, changing me. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing, though, that was kind of sad uh, for me, when I decided to, uh, you know, I'm going to go to seminary, I'm going to put in my notice at work, one of the things I remember being a little bit sad about was um, that I, I felt like I'd be probably missing out on a lot of things that I liked doing. Um, you know, one of those things was camping. Now, I don't mean camping out at Lake Tawakania, the back of your pickup truck, although that's, that's okay, that's nice. Uh, I mean, like, you know, I really love camping, going somewhere far and, you know, uh, I was just talking to Jill about Montana this morning and Yellowstone, and um, you know, I really enjoyed camping. And in North Texas, there's, there's just not a whole lot of really, really good camping, in, in my opinion. And um, uh, if you want to go somewhere really nice, you either got to drive really far or uh, you hop on a plane, rent a car, and drive somewhere and uh, uh, drive some national park and things like that. Things like that are costly. 
And uh, I thought it's probably not something I'll be able to experience anymore on a seminary, shushing seminarian budget. Uh, so on my second to last official day of work, I got an email in my inbox that said I had won an all-expenses-paid, all-inclusive guiding tour, guided tour of the Grand Canyon from REI. Naturally, I thought it was a scam because they wanted some information for me because they had to report it to the IRS because this was a, a large prize, you know, and you have to claim that or something, you know. So I made them go through a bunch of hoops. You know, I was like, this has got to be a scam. Uh, so I said, okay, sure, uh, trust but verify. So I'm going to, I asked the person who emailed me to send me a copy of her business card and her boss's business card, and they did that, REI, everything. It was true. Uh, I, was, I was blown away. Um, it was as if God had said, Sean, I made the universe. <laughs> you don't think I can meet your needs and desires? This is easy for me. I want you to know that. You know, it's going to be an awesome trip. Um, there was going to be, be full-time guides all the camping gear was provided, uh, and all food cooked and provided for us. Um, this was glamping at its finest. <laughs> so I made the travel arrangements with REI, and even decided to use some miles I had accumulated from my work uh, to upgrade my flight to first class. I was so excited. But I also recognized that this gift from God, which was an answer to prayer I never really prayed before, uh, it wasn't about me wasn't about me. And so I prayed. I thank God for the amazing blessing and said that I recognized that the trip wasn't about me. Uh, it wasn't about glorifying me. It was about glorifying God. So I committed to God in prayer that all I wanted to do was glorify God in this trip. And I said, if there's anything you want me to do, anyone you want me to talk to or uh, any of that kind of stuff, please make it clear to me. I know myself, and doing stuff like that was totally out of my comfort zone. So if there's any way to weasel out of talking to someone about God, I'd find it. So I asked God to make things really clear if he wanted me to do anything. And so I had no excuse to avoid it. And when the time for the trip arrived, I got into the plane, made my way into first class, and started getting comfortable. And I looked over at the guy sitting next to me, and he was reading a book. When I saw the title of the book, I almost started laughing out loud. I mean, I asked God to make things clear to me. But here's this guy sitting next to me, the big book, a yellow and black book titled Religion for Dummies. <laughs> I, it might as well have said... Signs for dummies who can't submit good and want to learn to do godly stuff good too. <laughs> you know, I prayed for clarity and I got hit over the head with extreme clarity. It's like God said, okay, Sean, you asked for clarity. Take a look at this guy. <laughs> I asked him what he was reading, you know, and what the book was saying. And we, we just spent the entire flight talking. He explained he was going through some marital difficulties and he was going out to Sedona to, I don't know, find himself. And so I told him, I said, 
you know, every other religion in that book is going to disappoint you because none of those religions is about a relationship with the one who created you. And so the whole flight, we're just talking. I'm sharing the gospel with them. Um, and it was just amazing. I'm totally not something I'd ordinarily do. Now, I don't know uh, if he eventually accepted Christ. I, I lost contact with him um, not too long after that, about a year or so after that. Uh, but who knows? And maybe there are other people listening on the flight. All I know is, at that time, I was completely submitted to God's will, and I was totally compelled and empowered to reveal the truth and glory of Jesus Christ to that man. You know, something like that was so out of my wheelhouse, but it was like I was drunk on the Spirit. I ended up telling everyone on that trip afterwards this story about this encounter and the years since. I love telling that story whenever I have a chance and giving glory to Jesus for that. You know, maybe these days you being filled by the Spirit could result in an opportunity to share the gospel. Maybe it's something else. Uh, but, what the spirit, what, uh, but what the filling of the Spirit should do is compel and empower you to do something you would not, otherwise not do as an unfilled believer. It may look different in you than it does in the person sitting next to you. There, you know, and I'd like to, at this moment, just kind of give a sidebar uh, about a misconception of the filling of the Spirit. You know, some people think that the filling of the Spirit must result in some sort of physical manifestations that include like speaking in tongues, visions, prophecies, healings, and the like. Now, those things did happen in the Bible, but I don't think that they must. Um, you know, and, and people say that if you're not speaking in tongues, if you're not doing this or that, having physical convulsions, uh, you aren't you weren't really filled by the Spirit. And again, I don't think that's true. And the passage here in Acts 4 is a great example. Interestingly, the Bible makes no mention of Peter being filled by the Holy Spirit when he healed the lame man in chapter 3. But it does explicitly state that Peter was filled when he spoke in front of the Sanhedrin. There's nothing particularly miraculous in the sense speaking in front of a group of people, but it certainly was something that he would never have done before. You know, the filling of the Spirit may look different in different people because we all come from uh, different places with different experiences, but don't allow yourself to feel looked down upon because somehow people, someone's saying that you're not filled with the Spirit because you're not doing something. So, how can you and I prepare ourselves to be filled by the Holy Spirit? How can we prepare ourselves? First, you need to have the Spirit in your life to begin with. If you're at Centennial Church and you haven't made that, you've never made that decision to trust Jesus with your life and receive the indwelling Spirit, I beg you, it's the most important decision you'll ever make. Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose from the dead, proving that he has the power to save you from your sin and your bondage to sin and from death. That's the absolute first thing that we need to do. We will never be filled by the Spirit if we don't have the Spirit to begin with. And if you've been going to church for many years and listening to people speak, uh, but you're not sure if you've actually made that decision, just, just do it. Make that decision. Nothing wrong with making sure 
that you've actually accepted the free gift of salvation. God's not going to get, he's not going to get annoyed for you double, triple, quadruple checking. Now, secondly, we need to stop sinning. We need to stop sinning. I didn't know it a decade ago, but I had been preparing myself to be filled by the Holy Spirit all along. When I was struggling with the decision of whether to go to business school or not, I wanted to change my life. I stopped many of the ways I had been sinning against God. My drunkenness and my selfishness, my immorality. I mean, Laura would have never married a guy like me the way I was. You know, but sin is always going to be a, sin is always going to be a struggle for us, okay? It's always going to be a struggle for us. But you will never get filled by the Spirit if you're constantly living in sin. And thirdly, you need to submit. Many of us here are believers with the indwelling spirit, but we aren't submitting to God. We'd rather do our things our way in our careers or how we raise our kids, how we spend our time. Well, if that's you, the Holy Spirit might be resident in you, but he ain't present. He might be resident in you, but he isn't the present of you. As the famous theologian Charles Ryrie once wrote, it is not a dedication to do something or to give up something, but a complete settling of the question, who will run my life? You know, you've already got the indwelling spirit. And to be filled is not the problem of getting more of the spirit, it is rather the spirit getting more of us. I'd like to close our time together by asking you a question. Who's running your life? I struggle with this still. I don't want you thinking I'm up here. Uh, I don't struggle with submitting to God. Just like you. Probably worse. Um, We think about all the negative things that are going to happen. if we submit to God. I put that in air quotes because uh, those negatives are just what the world defines are negative things. They're not really negatives. You know, I, I worry, for example, that making my company more outwardly Christian is going to cost me sales. That someone will get offended if I talk to an employee about the good news. Yeah, but why don't I remember that the God of the universe cares for my needs and will supply them more than I need? Did I forget everything that happened to me going to the Grand Canyon? I have a hard time submitting to God because, uh, to be perfectly honest, I often think I know how to run my life best. So I'm asking you, and I'm asking me, who's running our life? A journey begins with one step. So today, right now, I'd like you to take some time and think about an area of your life in which you struggle 
with submitting to God and giving him control over your life. And as I invite the worship team back to the stage, I'd like you to close your eyes. Go ahead and close your eyes. And think about it for a moment. Maybe it's control over your finances. What are you struggling to submit to God? Maybe it's control over your parenting or your teenage kids. Maybe it's control over where you're going to college next year. Maybe it's control over your diet and your health. Who is running your life? Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the promise that as believers, we are sealed by the indwelling Holy Spirit and we are yours forever. We confess today in these areas of our life and in our life in general that we often do not submit to you and we want to do things our way. We confess that we have not allowed the Spirit to fill us. Submit us to you, Lord, that we would seek to be filled by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for Jesus, his death and resurrection that gives life eternal. It is in his name that we pray today.